Welcome back to another episode of Sworn Testimonies. Today on the podcast, I interview Corey Grayson. Corey holds a PhD in biomedical engineering from Cornell University and was recently featured in Forbes magazine for her innovative work. We had a great conversation about what it's like to be a black female scientist in an era where STEM is anything but diverse. Stay tuned. Just be honest, 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 just be real, just be true, it's the only way to be free. Just be honest, it's the only way to be. Just be real, just be true, it's the only way to be. Just be honest. So, Corey, I found you on Instagram and immediately I was like, who is this smart girl with like melanin popping and curls popping? We need to be friends. Um, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I'm Corey with a K. You know, you got to clarify. Um, I was born to two military parents. Um, so I'm actually a first generation student. So I'm not particularly from anywhere in particular. I just kind of claim where I'm at at the moment. Um, from there. I did really well in like AP chemistry and AP calculus in high school. So I had like a knack for science and math and chemistry and biology. All that was like really fun and exciting for me. So afterwards, I ended up going to Norfolk State University, a full ride scholarship in the Denimus program. And so that through that program, I was able to get a bachelor's in chemistry with a pre-medical emphasis. And so... After that, I went and worked at a uh, biomedical device company in Cryolife, uh, called Cryolife in Kennesaw, Georgia. And then from there, I got into a PhD program at Cornell University, their biomedical engineering program. And then in actually about four days, I will be defending my thesis, my dissertation, and becoming Dr. Grayson. Hey, that's so exciting. I um, also, Cornell has a special place in my heart because both of my parents actually went to Cornell and I was born mm-hmm. on campus because my mom had me when she was in college. So I literally like grew up in Ithaca and like we lived in Ujima dorms. So did you always know that you wanted to be a scientist? Did you grow up like, this is what I want to do? Mm-hmm. No, um, I definitely started off in middle school wanting to be a massage therapist. Um, I really don't know why. I think I just like met one. I was like, oh, that seems like a cool job. And then <laughs> that like kind of fed or like went away. And then I was like, okay, now I want to be um, a chiropractor. And then I ended up talking or visiting a chiropractor with my mom. And he was like, well, it's mostly about business and like starting your own business. And I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> at that time, I was like, oh, I don't really want to do that. I want to like help people in some kind of way. So then when I got to college, I was like, okay, I'm be a medical doctor. That's because I, you know, I got the pre-med. So like, that's just kind of what I want, what I'm going to do. And that was the exposure that we saw when going with the chemistry track. So it wasn't until I was doing research over the summer and also doing well in my classes and seeing like I had an interest, especially with problem solving, I realized, okay. I kind of, I think I want to do like an MD, PhD, but even before then I was actually a biology major and it wasn't until then my chemistry major was like, Corey, um, you're not doing biology anymore. She's like, you're too smart. You have like a, more of a critical mindset. You need to switch your major. So then that's when I became a chemistry major. Um, so I shadowed when I was an undergrad, a doctor for two years. He was an OBGYN. So I've seen a lot of babies get delivered 
record, um, as well as going to places like Planned Parenthood and seeing IUD placements and birth control and all that kind of um, exposure that you would get going to there. And I think after that, um, taking the MCAT, not doing so on the MCAT, and just realizing, especially after seeing all those babies being born, I'm like, I don't think I want to do medical school anymore. <laughs> so then I was like, okay, I'm just going to go strictly with the PhD track. And then I think when finally when I became a PhD student, I actually felt like a scientist. Um, but it wasn't a straight, clear path. It wasn't an immediate choice. It was something that I was led to through different experiences, interacting with different people, either at my internships or in my personal life. And then now I'm like, hey, I'm a biomedical engineer, what you need? But I don't cure coronavirus. That's not my research. Please don't ask me about that. <laughs> I will not ask you about coronavirus, I promise. So I know you got your graduate degree from an Ivy League school, but you actually got your undergraduate degree from a historically Black college. What would you say to people who think historically Black colleges are no longer necessary or discriminatory or you know, reverse racism? I would say HBCUs were made and founded because we were not allowed to have the same access to education as our white counterparts. And even then, HBCUs do not discriminate. They are open to anybody that wants to come to an HBCU. You don't have to be Black. It just happens to be a majority Black population because that's where we can feel the most comfortable and be ourselves is around people who can relate to us, who look like us, and won't judge us on the basis of our skin. And so these institutions have history, just like a PWI. And so when you have parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, nieces that have gone there, you want to continue and have that history and have that connection, just like you would with any other place that has, you know, some type of family history with it. Um, I will say HB experience, HBCU experience is like no other. There's none, no other experience like it. And you doubt me because of my education and where it came from, but you don't understand the massive support system that I rely on. I can go anywhere. And if I meet any person that went to HBCU, that's our, that's my network. That's someone I can reach out to. That's someone who understands what I went through and understands my college experience. And so regardless if you're black, brown, white, purple, or green, you access to education, you should be able to go anywhere if you want to. But my HBC for me, that defined my college experience and helped define me as a woman. And I wouldn't take that back for anything. There's definitely a part of me that's jealous of that experience. I watched the Beyonce documentary, uh, the homecoming documentary, and I was like, man, I know that wasn't a real HBCU. Um, but it just looks like such an awesome experience to be surrounded by Black culture and Black people. Before going to a historically Black college, did you have anyone in high school or any role models who looked like you? Were there any Black women, maybe, outside of, you know, your parents? My guidance counselor, and that was um, Tiffany Walker. And she was the main one that pushed me to take these AP classes, even when I didn't want to and made me apply to all these colleges and these scholarships, even when I didn't want to. So she was the one, I think, that more had an influence that was a person of color in my life at the time. So it wasn't until I got to college where I actually had more than one person of color, especially a Black woman or Black man, be my professor, be my teacher. I think I had one in high school when I was in Georgia. It was my history professor that was a Black man. But other than that, mostly 
white men or women. It's so interesting because I read this statistic recently about how when you have a teacher and you can see yourself in that teacher, it actually makes the learning process a lot better for you because it's easier to kind of relate and understand. And I got kind of emotional thinking about it because I was like, man, I also, until I went to college, didn't really have people of color or just anyone really that I felt like I could relate to uh, in terms of my education and even some of the examples that they'd use in class, like going golfing. And, you know, that's also a socioeconomic issue, not just race, but it's like, you know, I'm not necessarily going to understand that example because that wasn't my experience. Exactly. So thank God I had a chemistry professor, Dr. Hall, and she always made sure, especially for undergrad, that we understood the applications of things. So she would talk to us about how a relaxer worked why is your hair curly? Why certain things that affect us as people of color that make us different, the science behind that. And so I think that really opened my eyes to really understanding chemistry more for what it is and just how it's like basically the science of life. And that drove me um, more as far as like scientific inquiry and figuring out why things are the way they are, even learning about like different facts. So I love drinking Snapple because Snapple has the facts underneath. Um, when you screw off the top. And so I just love learning new things every day. And I, she definitely helped by showing me the translation of it and it also being um, relatable. So that definitely helps. I love the way you talk about science is just kind of trying to figure out why things work the way they work. Because so many times we just think about like numbers and people have so mm -hmm. many know terrible experiences with science they're like oh I'm bad at math I don't get the word problems it's all so complicated uh, but I imagine if you have somebody kind of breaking it down and making it practical it could really change your opinion of what science even is it does it definitely does I think a lot of it has to do with the teachers um I know a lot of people say oh I hate science you don't hate science you just hate the way you probably taught it because it was confusing to you the way someone tried to teach you so even when I teach concepts or even like try to explain um, a little bit of my research, I just try to make it more relatable, as relatable as I possibly can. So I do uh, work in prostate cancer. So especially when I talk to men, specifically black men, I'm like, okay, prostate cancer is, you know, there's higher incidences. There's a big health disparity as far as African-American men. Men are African American men are diagnosed at higher rates with higher tumor volumes with more aggressive forms. So this is something that you should listen to and that you should care about. And then if I lead off with that, okay, then they understand. But if I start talking about my like nanoparticles or something like that, I lost them. So I think it's all about changing and like showing that relatability that somebody can have to your subject, even if they're not necessarily an expert or even really want to are interested in your research. It's just all about that connection and also the confidence. You have that, people will stop and they will listen. So you've kind of, you know, I see you use this phrase a lot. This is what a scientist looks like. I would say it's mm -hmm. maybe like your slogan or catchphrase. What does that mean to you? So for me, it focuses more on just the whole concept of representation. So it's not literally what you look like on the outside. It's not necessarily physical, unless it has to do with representing something that's different other than what a typical scientist may look like. So curly hair, or let's say if you are a person with a disability and you have a, maybe a wheelchair or something like something more physical than just your actual looks. 
if I'm talking about the physicality of that phrase. But when I'm talking about just this is what a scientist looks like, this is what is a representation of what one can look like. So, okay, yeah, we don't all wear glasses. I wear glasses just because I can't see. But, you know, I like to wear cooler frames or, you know, I wear my hair out and curly and lab, or sometimes it might be long. I might have long braids to the floor. It just depends on how I feel that day. But it speaks to the larger fact of representation and how that's important in order for younger people of color, and specifically for me, Black women, to see like, okay, I can be a scientist, or I can be an engineer, or I can be an artist, or I can be whatever I want to be because there's somebody out there who looks like me and can relate to me that is doing the same thing. So overall, it's mostly speaking to representation and not actual uh, physical looks. But some people take it that way, and I tried to dispel that, but I can only do so much. I, I love that. And even as a Black woman, I mentioned, I had some preconceived notions in my head. And my mom is a doctor, but still, I have preconceived notions in my head about what a scientist mm -hmm. is. And so many times mm -hmm. when I've tried to have this conversation with you know, white people specifically, they get really angry and they're like, well, I'm not a racist. And I'm like, but it's not about racism. We have unconscious mm -hmm. biases because we live in the world and we see media mm -hmm. and all of these things kind of shape a narrative about who looks like what. And I'm not going to lie. When I think basketball player, I think black man. When I think scientist, mm -hmm. I think white man. Um, and I think those are yep. conversations that are, you know, actually worth having. And I, I think I, I tagged you in an Instagram post one day because I can't see it all either, but I usually wear my contacts. But I had my glasses mm -hmm. on one day and I was about to not post a picture because I was like, mm. and then I was like, wait, Corey always looks popping in her glasses. I'm going to wear my glasses in my picture and just rock this blurred black nerd girl look. Um, <laughs> when, when people, you know, see your your Instagram page, are they shocked? Like, oh my gosh, people from your program. Um, so a few of my lab mates, they'll find me and then they'll see me and they're like, Corey, are you popping on Instagram? I'm like, ah, I do all right. <laughs> um, I know some people like to not necessarily like hide from their coworkers or their advisors and not be seen, but I don't post anything on Instagram I wouldn't want anybody to see. Um, I'm very open to showing all facets of me, which also encompasses this is what a scientist looks like. This is also what I do. This is a part of me. Even with that, I mean, I have had my advisor like follow me on Instagram and I'm just, I still don't know how I feel about that one, but you know, he definitely follows me on, we follow each other, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. So, but again, I really don't post much that I wouldn't want him to see or anyone else to see because my parents or at least my mom follows me on all platforms and you know, grandparents, you gotta be, you know, conscious of like what you post. But in general, they see it, they may react, they'll follow me. If I feel like it, I'll follow them back. And <laughs> at this point is what it is. You can see me, we can interact, I post what I post, and then maybe we might talk about it in lab, maybe we won't. It just depends. <laughs> I love that confidence that you have. I, you know, very much feel like I operate the same way in social media and uh, coming from a legal background. I always had colleagues that were shocked to see my Instagram. Like, why are you dancing? Or like, why are you making videos? Or why are you? And I'm like, did y'all think this was all I did? Because I have a whole life outside of this. Um, have you ever been worried that somebody might see your posts or like your beautiful carnival posts 
um, and, you know, automatically assume, oh, you have less credibility or you're not a serious scientist? Um, that definitely comes with the territory of some of the things I post, because I've even posted about like some of my tattoos and piercings that I have. But I'm just very confident in the fact that it's not my tattoos or what I wear that's doing the science. It's me, Corey, as a person. And so this is just represents different kind of facets of me. At first, I was very private and I kept a lot of things as far as what I even did outside and even like my body modifications to myself. And then I started to realize that there's so many people who actually do have similar things and do similar things like I do. Like I know whole scientists who are tatted up, straight up sleeves, arm sleeves, leg sleeves, have multiple piercings, dye their hair. And I'm like, well, if they could do that, I would, nobody cares about my little tattoos. <laughs> no one cares about how my hair looks or the fact that I got a long ponytail or, you know, tomorrow it's an afro. No one really cares. And so I think it just instilled more confidence in showing that this is what I look like today. I might look different tomorrow. Who knows? I might even, you know, shave my eyebrows off. Y'all just going to have to deal with it because at the end of the day, you know, it's my body and it's how I want to represent myself. So even like if colleagues see it, my mom sees it. Mind you, my mom doesn't always like what I post. Now, that's the one person I hear the greatest critiques from from dancing to my carnival outfit she definitely doesn't like it but i told her i was like if someone doesn't want to hire me based off of what i posted on instagram then that's not the place for me it's so true i'm over here like preach i um, i have a nose ring and i went to a legal conference one time and this woman stopped me and she was like you are so brave to wear that piercing here and in my head i was like brave i wear it all the time um <laughs> The idea that certain people really do have expectations about, you know, what mm -hmm. a certain professional should look like. And it's like, just because I checked the box for X, Y, and Z profession doesn't mean I checked the box for it to fill all these other preconceived notions that you may or may not have about um, who I am. And, you know, my mom definitely, you know, always has comments about what I'm wearing and doing. And usually she's like very supportive surprisingly like right, so, right. certain things where people would be like oh my gosh did your mom see that like yeah she told me to post it um but I know <laughs> That's good. when it uh, when it comes to jobs and thankfully I'm you know an entrepreneur right now so I don't care what anyone thinks if you don't want to work with me then mm -hmm. don't um but when I was mm -hmm. applying to jobs that definitely was a consideration and something that uh, my mom brought up frequently and I had a friend at my last job uh, who was homosexual and he was saying that when he was applying to jobs, people told him to take off the LGBTQ organizations he worked for off of his resume because they were like, you know, they might have certain biases. It'll keep you keep them from hiring you. And he was like, I considered it. But then I was like, no, I want to include it because I don't want to work someplace or I wouldn't be fully accepted. So I kind of think about it the same way. I almost prefer for people to see my Instagram and all these other pieces of me. And I'm like, you either accept all of me or none of me, so. Exactly. And then luckily in grad school, we're in this fuzzy, like professional, unprofessional, casual place. And so a lot of grad students kind of, we dress very interesting coming to lab, <laughs> I will say. There's a variety of different types of people, different types of styles. I mean, even with my nose ring, I've had my nose ring since I was, 17 years old that's when I got it and people even now look at me like oh my god when she's your nose pierced I'm like I've had this since you've known me okay 
So it may not necessarily be a big hoop, but it's been there. And then even like my tattoo, sometimes I may wear a shirt where you can see it and they're like, oh my God, Corey, you're tattooed. I'm like, yep, I've had that since I was in college as well. So <laughs> it's just part of my, it's part of me. And even with tattoos or piercings, like my parents had have had tattoos for years and so has my brother. So getting a tattoo or piercing in our household is not unusual. Mine might be a little bit unusual because of how big it is, but other than that, in our family, it's like accepted. It's not a big deal. And it shouldn't be a big deal to other people. It's definitely a stigma. Um, I know a lot of people in my family, even coming from like a very, you know, Christian household, had ideas about like, you're where you've got the mark of the beast. My mom always makes jokes about I have a tattoo in my arm. She always makes jokes about me having the mark, which I completely disagree with. Uh, but it's it's nice to, you know, be able to break stigmas. And I commend you for being a cool black girl scientist nerd, making it like pop in and fashionable uh, because we just we really don't have a lot of that representation. It's either like you're cool because you cut class and you had all the boyfriends, et cetera. But the nerds or the people in the smart classes in quotation marks were never thought of as cool. So being able to kind of redefine what cool means is very powerful. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I think sometimes even when people talk to me like, Corey, you're actually, you're a nerd for real, for real. And I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Just because I have this cool demeanor. Um, I still like nerdy stuff. You know, I watch certain shows and not really an anime person, but you know, certain things, especially science shows. Like, I love that all the time. It's Murder of Bones. I love that show with anthropology and she's trying to figure out these murders using the science and the experiments they do. I'm actually watching that probably later on today. But all these things just encompass me. That's just like one part of me. And then you just have these other parts where I can maybe seem more relatable to other people. And that's how I feel it becomes more important to do that in order to communicate our science better. Um, you can see or you can understand things more when you have somebody that you can relate to talking to you specifically about this certain subject. And so I just understand like sometimes when you actually are your true authentic self, people will actually graduate or gravitate to that more. The more and more I become myself, I understand myself. Um, this is what I enjoy doing, what I love doing. Just the more positivity, encouragement, and support comes my way. And this makes this whole journey a lot easier versus me trying to hide and be something that I'm not. So what you see on IG, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever, that's literally authentically me. And for some reason, people like it. Well, I definitely like it. And I'm curious as to how people react to you when they find out that you're a scientist with this fancy Ivy League degree because, you know, when people find out that I'm a lawyer, so many of them treat me differently. Like it's almost night and day uh, between the way they treated me before they knew and then the way they treated me after they found out. And it's really sad, but sometimes I'm like, man, the, the biggest benefit I got from going to get a doctorate degree was the clout that I got and the way that people, you know, were paying attention to me and actually listening to what I have to say and it's really frustrating because I feel like you know just with the politics of respectability you shouldn't need a professional degree uh, to be taken seriously like white people don't have to have a professional degree 
to be taken seriously most of the time, you know, and even a lot of the spaces that I've worked in, the people who were, you know, the CEOs and a lot higher up than me, they actually had a lot less formal training and education than I had, uh, which is really frustrating because it's like, dang, why does it have to be like that? Unfortunately, it kind of is like, even when people ask me, like, what do I do? I kind of start off very vague. I'm a grad student. Oh, well, where do you go? I'm like, for now. I'm like, oh, well, what are you doing? I'm PhD. And then they're like, oh, and then their light, their eyes just light up and you can see their attitude just change toward you, towards you and kind of like give you a little bit more respect than they initially thought that maybe you even deserve. So I was saying earlier, like, I'm just doing this for the clout. So that people can just like call me doctor and keep moving. <laughs> Listen, I um I worked at the creative artist agency and there's this girl woman, um, I call her girl because uh, respect, uh, a woman who mm-hmm. came up to me one day and was like, I know that I shouldn't be shocked, but someone just told me that you went to a top 10 law school and I am just, wow, I cannot believe it. You? And I was like, uh, yes. And then she goes on to say, I know this is inappropriate, but you just became so much more interesting to me. Just, I just didn't know that you were educated. And I was so offended because it's like, aren't I worth conversation or just worth something mm-hmm. to you outside of like mm-hmm. my education? I hate using like pedigree and I hate having mm-hmm. to like throw it in people's faces. Don't get me wrong. I do it. When people get really rude, I'd be like, excuse me, I'm an attorney. So you're not about to talk to me any type of way. That is so true. And I think it's about kind of figuring out which of those situations kind of warrant more attention. Um, some people, like, woman, you really don't mean much to me at this moment in time. Like, I'm not really here to try to impress you. It is like, go on about your life. But with sometimes other instances, you know, no, I'm not the student. I'm the lecturer for this class. Mm-hmm. Just call me doctor. Don't call me Corey. Don't call me by my first name. And so sometimes it's about demanding that respect. And automatically that should come with the degree, but still, even as a person or a woman of color, they may mistake you sometimes for the help versus the person that's actually like leading or being the leader in, in this case. And so what doctor or not, at the end of the day, you're going to respect Corey. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. That respect. Like exactly. Watch how you talk to me and I will give you back the same energy that you give me and you don't want it. Trust Amen, amen. They don't want it. So I want to talk to you a little bit about mental health. As you know, I'm writing a book called Therapy Isn't Just for White People, and you went to a school, Cornell, that is known for high depression rates. Have you experienced depression at all being at Cornell, or have you seen other peers deal with the issue? I particularly don't think I've had depression while being there, but I can understand why students have gone through that being in a place like Ithaca because the sun doesn't come out as often as it should, especially during the winter times. And the fact that you can feel so isolated and you're far from family, that depression can definitely come about. Um, I had other manifestations as far as like anxiety and um, never really imposter syndrome, but um, sometimes feeling that you may not necessarily belong in this um, certain arena or this space, um, but I definitely have friends who suffer from imposter syndrome and have been depressed. Even maybe I've had suicidal thoughts. So those are definitely 
major things that I had considered more or thought about more when I got to Ithaca. Um, but that was the first time while I was there that I actually sucked, um, was able to seek out therapy for myself. And so for the first time while I was in grad school, I was able to talk to a professional about how I was feeling about work, relationships, me as an individual. And I think that really helped broaden my eyes and as well as my view on where I wanted to go, not only with my work, but myself as an individual. And so I think there I learned the importance of mental health and actually finding something that can relieve the stress and the emotions that can come with grad school. So I really got into stress relieving, which would be um, even though I have not been in a while because it's just, I've been trying to defend soon, but I think working out became a therapeutic outlet for me, whether it was frustration with grad school or, or the relationship that I was in. And it just became my uh, place of just peace. And I became more confident in that. I mean, I don't, I don't go to the gym with anybody. I go to the gym by myself and I try things out by myself and just knowing that I was able to do that and was confident in trying things in the gym. Okay, maybe I could be a little more confident trying things in the lab and trying things um, differently with me, myself and other people as well. And so grad school definitely opened up my eyes more to the importance of mental health and maintaining that and finding therapeutic outlets and then also understanding people better, understanding their experiences and what they're going through and being able to hear them more because I know I wanted to sometimes be heard and be felt and understood and people be empathetic towards me. So it definitely helped during that time. Um, I personally never knew anyone who might've committed suicide or died during graduate school, but I know people who have that are older than me. And so when you realize that that's so close to home, you try to do everything that you can in order to maintain your sanity in grad school and in a place like Ithaca. So it's so real and, you know, mental health, it's not necessarily something we can always see on the outside, especially when we talk about social media, like people can look like they have it all together and inside we're just dealing with so many issues and, you know, we can talk about how hard it is to be a black woman in America, but on top of that, we have real life stresses just like everybody else and it all just starts to like um, compile. Uh, what happened with your relationship? Oh, that thing. Um, <laughs> so I was engaged. Um, I think like a year into my program, I got engaged. And I think we engaged for like another year after that. And I think just during that time, our past just didn't align. It was hard being in grad school and not having someone who could really understand or relate to that. And then also just to be honest, I just was not ready for a relationship or to be anybody's wife at that point in time. I didn't know myself enough to even be with someone to love them and care for them and not be selfish to literally be with them. So I just wasn't in that place. And it took me a while to kind of figure that out and learn that, but it was a decision for the better and um, we're both doing fine. And it, it just wasn't meant to be. I completely understand that. I um, was in a relationship for like five years in college and everyone just assumed we were going to get married and we looked at rings and then, you know, I just had this moment of like, 
who am I and who do I want to be in this world? I don't think this is it. And I want to move to LA and I just want all these other things. I don't know if I want to like settle down and have this like monotonous life, not that there's an issue with it. Um, so I, I can relate and I think it's hard. I try not to pay attention to the statistics when it comes to what they have to say about, you know, professional black women and marriage and how we're the least likely to marry and all of that. Um, is that something that you still think you want for your life, like marriage and family or? Um, actually, no, I have now reached, I think, to a point of comfort, comfortability with myself that. I don't need to necessarily fit in the social norms of getting married and having a kid in order to be happy. I feel like a lot of that starts with self. Um, definitely having a life partner would be nice uh, for sure. But at the same time, I'm not looking for a husband. I'm not looking to have kids because all of these things are major responsibilities. You can still live a fulfilled life if you don't have them. Um, I just think we are pushed a lot of times in that direction of you got to have kids, you got to get married. Like, what else are you here for? When um, sometimes my purpose may be not may not be to have kids. I have three little sisters. Like, I feel like those are my children. And then I got a nephew. I feel like that's a child for me. And even when it comes to romantic partnerships, I mean, those are nice. But at the end of the day, I have friends and I have family who, get, who give me and also get that emotional support. And... As long as I have those things, I'm going to be okay. Man comes. I mean, I'm a heterosexual woman. So if a man comes, I mean, that's nice. But at the same time, you're not adding to what I already have. Then I could do bad all by myself. Yes. I love that you are so confident uh, just with where you are in life. And, you know, I honestly go back and forth. People ask me all the time, like, do you want to get married and have kids? And I do think that that is the desire of my heart, but it's not a mm -hmm. desire so strong that I would just marry any old body to have children. Like that's a real right. lifelong commitment and journey. And I would much, much rather be single um, than married to someone where we're not like aligned in terms of values and purpose and how we want to show up mm -hmm. for other people and each mm -hmm. other in this world. Um, so I really get it. And sometimes people look at you sideways, like, how could you have a life that has meaning if you don't have children? And then I'm like, I'm a storyteller. I'm a writer. I'm a creator. What if I write and create something that changes your child's life? Like, isn't that purpose? Like, isn't me contributing to the life that exists already on this planet still purposeful? Um, so I feel you so much on that. I think it definitely is ingrained in us sometimes to us for us to go down that path. But even then, like, I don't have to have my own children. I can adopt. I'm more open to doing that than actually pushing out something, you know? And even I think with my parents and watching people in my family get married, get divorced, and sharing children or trying to be co-parents and things like that, I'm like, I'm, I'm okay. I think I'm okay. I can wait a little bit longer. Like, I'm almost, I'm almost 30. And, you know, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And if it's not, it's not. That's just how I look at things at this point. You know, what they say, God laughs at you when you plan. So I'm not planning anything, especially no kids. And <laughs> I'll take them as they come. But I feel like right now, that's just not my purpose in life. That was a, a really brave thing you did too, um, calling off the, the engagement. Uh, did 
did your friends and family kind of understand or was there like an embarrassing moment of like, I can't believe I have to do this? Um, my parents and um, my friend, family and friends, they were all actually really, really supportive. Um, my friend Jessica, who I met at Cornell, she tells me all the time, she's like, you're so, that was so courageous for you to call it off. She's like, most people wouldn't, and then they'd be in an unhappy marriage. And she's like, I'm just so proud of you for doing that. Um, at the time, it did feel a little bit like a failure, like, oh, now this is something else that, you know, I didn't necessarily achieve at the moment. But my parents were understanding, at, as always. My mom didn't necessarily like him from the beginning. And then my dad was like, oh, well, all right, cool. Well, you you don't like him, I don't like him, or if y'all not together, that's fine, it's whatever. And even um, down to my grandparents who had met him and they liked him, they were like, surprisingly to me, they're like, oh, okay, well, as long as you're okay, Corey, then we're okay. Because I thought they would have a stronger attachment to him, but I understand their attachment is to me, not to someone that I have in my life. Like if they make me happy, that's fine. But at the end of the day, my family loves me and supports me. So whatever decisions I make going forward, um, even with my friend support, they all understand and they're all there to um, show me that same type of uh, passion in return. So that's why I said at the end of the day, I don't really need a man. Was your, your ex-fiance, was he a man of color? Mm-hmm. Yeah, black man. Went to the same school I did. Have you ever dated interracially or thought about dating interracially or are you open to that? I'm I'm open. Surprisingly, I'm open. But the surprising part is the only people that come up to me are either black men or Puerto Rican men, which to me is like basically black anyway. So <laughs> I'm open to dating outside of my race. I am. But I don't know whether it's my height or whether I'm intimidating. Other men of different races just don't come up to me or express interest. And even then, when I see men of other races, I'm more apt to flirt with them first than they are with me. And at the end, which is fine, I can do that, but you want someone that has uh, mutual interest in you as well. So I'm open. I'm open to all possibilities. I don't never say never to anything, but at the same time, I also do love black men. Love them. Do. Strongly. Sometimes, you know, they don't act right, but <laughs> um, I'm definitely open to dating as long as there's love there. Uh, I love that. Um, you, How tall are you? You mentioned you were tall. I'm nine, but if I go out and I have heels on, then I can be like six one, six two. See, these are things that you can't tell on Instagram. Like, I have a very big personality. So um, I met one of my sister's friends for the first time not that much long ago, or not that long ago. Mm -hmm. And he met me and was like, so surprised that I was so like itty bitty. Like he thought I was just like thicker and like taller. And he was like, what? You're so small. And I was like, I mean, you you look bigger on Instagram. Um, So you really just, you know, you just can't always tell on social media. Agreed. So, um, what do you feel like you want your legacy to be? I know that's a big question. Yeah, that's a future think ahead kind of question. Um, if anything, my legacy, what I would like that to be is basically being an advocate for people of color in STEM and widening and broadening the perception 
of what a scientist is and what a scientist looks like. Um, being more of an inspiration to people to show them that they can do anything that they want to do despite whatever cards they've been dealt. And just hopefully, especially influencing Black women and Black men to just be able to think outside the box, outside of the norm, outside of these restraints that society puts on us as far as like you have to go in this direction or you need to go in that direction based off of even what you look like. I feel like we are just a multifaceted people and there's so many things we can do that we don't even know yet just because we haven't had the opportunities or the same access as others. And I just want people to know that just follow follow the path, follow the path that leads you there and you'll get to where you need to go. Um, have that support system, those good people around that are good influences and you'll always get work to where you need to go. You'll always get there. So if that would be it, that'd be my legacy. Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful legacy. And I have no doubt in mind um, that you will leave that legacy behind for the next generation. Um, I, I'm really just thankful that we had the opportunity to connect and that you were so willing to just be honest and vulnerable about your career and life and otherwise, because these conversations are just so important and people don't have them enough. And, you know, I've definitely mentored some young women who have told me actually mm -hmm. that they didn't know anyone in their family who went to college or had a professional job and didn't even know where to turn mm -hmm. to get information about what certain experiences were like. So hopefully conversations mm -hmm. like making them available, you know, people will just get an, an, some insight into what it means to be a black professional. Um, to yes. any young people who are listening who might be considering a career in STEM or in science, um, what advice would you have for them about like classes or extracurricular activities or anything like that? Um, for younger people, if you're interested in particularly engineering, um, definitely doing your high level calculus, linear algebra, differential equations type of classes will definitely help. Having a strong background in statistics because eventually when you reach my point, you're doing a lot of statistical analysis. Um, doing internships if you can during the summer or while you're on campus and finding a lab, kind of getting that uh, type of experience. Um, publishing if you can, um, even though that's kind of hard to do as an undergrad, but it does happen. I would also say uh, seeking out a mentor, finding someone who is in the field that you want to be in or at least somewhere similar and talking to them about their experiences because they can definitely lead you the right way. I have um, a few mentors, but one specifically, Byron George. Um, he works for McKinsey. He got his PhD like a long time ago before I did. He was the one that encouraged me to apply and what to apply for. So he told me to apply for my NSF. Uh, fellowship. And I did that before even having uh, done any research in like two years. And I ended up getting it based off of his advice and him leading me to where I need to go. And so even with my mentees, I try to let them know of different funding opportunities, of uh, different like writing camps or dissertation camps that they can go to, or just even different experiences that I've experienced. So that way they can have um, a little bit more of a competitive edge. And so you'll find these things when you talk to people who have been down these roads before. 
So moving forward, definitely find a mentor that's somebody that you can talk to and um, help you get on the right path in order to succeed in grad school or any endeavor that you choose to move forward. And then also, I would say do something that isn't necessarily science-based. So I've done leadership courses, science communication kind of classes in order to relay my science to make me overall a stronger leader, mentor, and person. So not only am I being stronger in my like, science acumen, I now have different qualities that make me uh, maybe a better candidate for a position than someone else because I have gone through different things that aren't just research-based. And so definitely having those type of experiences, if you want to go into the Peace Corps for a year and see what that's like, having anything that just kind of separates you and makes you a little different always helps. Thank you. That, that was so helpful. And you're so right about mentorship. Even um, I'm negotiating my contract for my book publishing deal right now. And, you know, people keep asking me, like, how did you like find a publisher? And girl, I was uh, looking for publishers and I've been trying to publish books for a long time. But one of my mentors was actually like, girl, you need a book proposal and it needs to look like this. And then you need to include that and you need to reach out to this person. And I just took my notes, did exactly what she said, um, and it worked. So, you know, just yep. having people that have gone through the things that you're actually trying to do, like guide you is so helpful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So helpful. I've had a few um, people that have given me their essays for when they applied for the NSF and I've gone over them and then they turn around and don't get NSF just because I kind of have an idea of what they're looking for and I've got it before. So yeah. definitely having that mentorship, having that advice can, can make things like a whole lot better when you're going through the process versus kind of starting off with scratch and just figuring things out as you go. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. Uh, this conversation was great. I'm, I'm already like looking forward to re-listening and editing and posting because you just dropped so many gems. Um, and I think just your spirit and your vulnerability. Y'all, I'm actually, I can see Corey right now. Y'all can't see her. You're just going to be hearing our podcast. Uh, but she's just such a beautiful light. Well, she lies getting not what I meant. I meant like bright. <laughs> Bright personality. Um, and, you know, we're just lucky as citizens of the world to have you. Um, so thank oh, you. It was fun. We got to do this again. Right? Um, yes. And thank you everyone so much for listening. That concludes this week's episode. I want to say for those of you who are thinking about starting your own podcast, I actually have a new course that will teach you exactly how to start a podcast, how to edit your podcast, how to distribute your podcast, and how to make money from your podcast. If you want more information, you can visit www.kiaraimani.com. Until next week. Just be honest. 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 Just be honest.